0: Hey, listen, I'm honored to be able to share with you all a great, um, um, I'm, I'm, um, this message today has to do with kindness, and so I, uh, and the reason why I decided to preach on this is because i um, Tuesday night, I'm going to be actually doing the terrific Tuesdays, and if you would like to come and um, have dinner with us, great. Um, with the reservations there on the website, and um, also if you don't want to come for dinner, you can come and just hear the talk. And so, on my sermon and my preparation—it's we've been focusing on the journeys of Paul, and so we're on this last part, the last leg of Paul's journeys. You know, on several different journeys, and this one's going to be teaching on his embarkment going from um, Cesarea Maritime actually to Rome because he makes this plea, he wants to actually stand before the emperor. And so this is great story. As I was doing my research for this particular song, I mean this particular um, research for the devotion, I found that there's this kind of common thread that was going throughout the text, the story. And it's a great story. And, um, And it has to do with kindness. And so I want to share with you all just a few little parts of the story today. Um, just a scripture lesson, and then I'll just kind of have a chance to preach and teach on it. So let me begin with, um, beginning here with the 27th chapter. This, all, this whole story of Paul's leg, last leg actually is found in the latter parts of the book of Acts, as uh, Luke is writing this. And so let me just share this with way. So when it was decided that we were to sail from Italy, they transferred Paul and some other prisoners to, to, um, a, with a centurion of the Augustus cohort named Julius. Embarking on a ship of Edredinium that was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by our, our um, Tartus, a Macedonian from Thessaloniki. The next day we put in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to see his friends to be cared for. And then we go through this next little part, and there's this place in which they they go through this very traumatic experience, and I'll be able to tell you a little bit more about this story in just a minute. Um, They're shipwrecked, and they ended up being shipped in a little place called Malta. And so this is what happens in Malta. So after we had reached safely, we had learned that the island was called Malta. Um, The natives showed us, well, unusual kindness. Since it had been gunned to rain, and it was cold, they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us around it. So my, my thing for us to think about, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So my theme today goes with this. Um, are we bent towards being cold, kind or are we bent towards being cold? Maybe we should all warm up to the idea that Christ calls us to a life of kindness, not coldness. I mean, didn't you just hear that? It's like when they got to Malta, they're a shipwreck. They're all cold, wet. And so the people of Malta, they build this fire and they warm themselves around a fire. It says they were kind. Joyce was kind. The people of Malta were kind. Kindness. Do we want to be cold or do we want to be kind? So this last Friday night, my wife and her um, church at Lake Pan, we helped sponsor a, a a barbecue dinner. By the way, I think they raised about $5,000, which is great. Isn't that great? Praise God. And so thank you all for supporting that. So, um, so we, we finished all everything. It was like 6.30. Everything was cleaned up. And so um, we were, I, was, I know Donna was tired. I was tired. We are ready to go home. And so one of her people from, had volunteered. Her car didn't start. So Donna says, well, you take the car on home, and then I'll either call you, come back and get me. She said, I don't want to leave her by herself. I said, okay. She says, but Harold, and I said, well, honey, and she said, um, I really could use a Diet Coke. And I said, okay, I'll go get you one, no problem. So I went over to Publix, where I love to shop. And, and so I'm walking in, and, minding my own business, and uh, I, I just get out of my car and I'm walking to the front. Now, when you get to the front entrance of Publix over here, you know how it is there are people coming they're going there are people coming out the store there are people going into the store right in front of the store you got people coming this way this way they're driving they're driving their cars they're driving the golf carts and you got it all coming at different angles right so when i walk up i see this lady who's basically stopped just past the main entrance i mean she's still like in the main road and she rolls down her window and she says hey do you know where the village's charter school is And I said, well, I said, what are you looking for? She says, well, there's a football game tonight. And I said, oh, my. I said, "You're, you're 30 minutes away. And she says, what? And I said, yeah. And she says, no, what, what am I? What? And she was completely discombobulated. And I said, well, I said, here's, here. You, you're at the, this used to be the high school, but it's not the high school anymore. It's at the Middleton campus. And she gets her upset. how do I get there? And so meanwhile, as I'm trying to explain to her this and pl- help her pull it up on the phone to help her get the coordinates on her Google to be able to, to go there, there's a n- another lady who walks out. Uh, publics. She's not even a car. She's walking out, and she starts yelling at me. Hey, what are you doing? Can't you see you're backing up all this traffic? What you, I mean, what is your problem? She starts yelling at me. and like, what? <laughs> and, and, and so then I, 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 she kept on. She didn't let up. And because and and the, the lady was, I know, she was in the middle of the road and I walked up and she, I guess she just thought we were having this conversation. But, and then I finally turned and said, can't you see I'm trying to be kind here? I'm not making this up. I am not making this up. <laughs> and she kept on and on. And I said, I'm just, I'm just trying to help the lady, right? And then the, the woman in the car, who I'm trying to help, she says, like, what is that woman's problem? And I said, evidently, she didn't get the memo that this, this Florida's friendliest hometown. <laughs> 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 oh, gosh. So I finally got her all headed in the right direction. And this is the last thing. Honestly, this is the last thing she said to me. She says, thank you so much for being nice to me. That's what she said. Thank you so much for being nice so, are we bit towards, I mean, this is, um, well, I'm being transparent. Are we bit towards trying to be kind, or are we bit towards trying, well, being a little bit cold? I had a little prickly both ways there, didn't I? A little prickly. Kind. I, I did my um, research this week, and I, I found a, some great quotes on kindness. Um, like, for example, here's some. So, uh, Maya Angelou said, it takes courage to be kind. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, the test of our progress is not whether we add more to the abundance of those who have much, it is whether we provide enough for those who have little. Uh, Abraham Joshua Hirsch said, when I was young, I admired clever people. Now that I'm old, I admire kind people. Mm. Um, on empathy, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest modern theologians of all time, by the way, Hitler killed him, executed him. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or, or admit, omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. And then my favorite quote is Dr. Seuss. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful a lot, nothing is going to get better. It's just not. I am probably the only senior pastor in America that's quoting Diedrich Bonhoeffer and Dr. Seuss in the same <laughs> sentence. Don't you know that? But it's about kindness, isn't it? Kindness, Empathy. Mm. Uh, You know, I I did my research this week, and um, I found that this was very interesting. I I found this uh, article about the 15 ways that Christianity has changed history and society. Because I love history. So it talked about how the Christian faith, and the theme of this, majority of what this article is about is about people, how the Christians were kind. So like, for example, Christianity gave us the concept of, it talks about holidays, like holidays or holy days, and they talked about Christmas, which was Christ's Mass. It talks about Christianity gave us uh, hospitals as we know them today. Hospitals, Christianity led the way. Christianity gave us the adoption of foster, the foster care system. Christianity, uh, Christianity gave us women gave women greater dignity and freedom. Uh, Christianity gave children a higher status Important. Christianity gave us the greatest artwork, the greatest artists, the greatest musicians, the greatest arts of uh, works of literature. Uh, Christianity as um, was actually the foundation of America. Out of the 39 people who signed the Declaration of Independence, were, most of them were Christians. Uh, Christianity created a foundation for educational system. Christianity gave us a foundation of science. And um, Christianity gave us the foundation. Ultimately, it was the important abolishing slavery. By the way, uh, John, John Wesley, the founding of the United Methodist Church on his deathbed, um, pleaded with Wilbur, uh, Wilbur Wilberforce, who was um, in Parliament, and he says, You have to abolish slavery. And it took him several decades to finally do it. But this, is, um, this was John Wesley's dying wish. He wrote to him on his deathbed you got to get rid of slavery. Um, And then the last thing here, he talks about Christianity as the most powerful force in charity work. I thought that was interesting. Kindness. I also found, this is an interesting article. Um, It was called, How Did the Early Christians Respond to the Plagues? You know, there was two significant um, plagues that killed millions of people. One was at 165 A.D. and one was 251 A.D. And they think that it was probably uh, the plague was connected to smallpox. But in this article, um, it talked about how the Christians were the ones who came to the rescue. They cared for people. I mean, it was highly contagious. The Christians went out and they pulled up and they were able to help in so many different capacities. And, and part of the reason why I believe the Christian faith actually continued to grow in those early stages of the early Christian church is because the Christians so kindness. Can you imagine? By the way, I thought this was interesting. I looked at the date of this particular article. It was dated on March 16, 2020. What happened on March 16, 2020? It was the beginning of COVID. I thought that was interesting. Then I found this other thing about, I thought this is really interesting about kindness. And I, I looked up, like, when were some of the most pivotal moments in history about that really represented people being kind to each other? So here's the first one. I actually got pictures for all these. The first one was called the Christmas Truce between the French, the German, and the British soldiers during World War I. So... The Christmas truce, if you know anything about world history, is that so there, there's this front, right? And so the Germans and the British and the French are on this front line and they're bombing each other, shooting each other. And they decide at Christmas time, they decide, well, let's just call a truce and let's not try to kill each other. Can you show this next picture? This is what they did. They played soccer. <laughs> True story. Look it up, it's in history. So let's just call it one day. We're not going to try to kill each other, we're just going to play together. Can you imagine? amazing, isn't it? The, number, the next one was uh, Princess Diana shaking hands with an AIDS patient back in 1987 and not using gloves. That was a big deal because they thought, you know, it, AIDS was very contagious and you could kind of get it through uh, other ways. Um, the other, here's the next one. Um, uh, Mother Teresa. I thought this was interesting. One of the greatest comediers of kindness ever. Number four is Harold Lowe. He's the only person on the Titanic that went back with a lifeboat to go get rescue more people. Only one. The rest of them were afraid to go back because they were afraid that the boat would get swamped and they would all die. The next one was, um, I thought this was interesting, Oscar Schindler saved 1,200 Jews, risked his life. The next one was um, the forgiveness of Pope John Paul II. That guy that's in that of the picture. He's but John Paul is visiting him in a prison, and this is the guy who's trying to execute him, trying to kill him, assassinate him, I should say. He, he he shot him twice, and so what does John Paul do? Uh, Second, like he goes after he survives. He goes and meets him in his prison. And um, let me show you, can you show you the next picture? That's what forgiveness looks like. That's what kindness looks like. John Paul II. The next one was um, Desmond Doss. He was a conscientious objector, and you all might have seen the movie in 2016 called Hacksaw Ridge. He saved 75 wounded soldiers by himself. And he was shot four times himself. Amazing. And then the last one I thought was pretty good. Can you... Jesus. Jesus, the leper, uh, healing the leper. These are the ones that uh, I thought these were all great documentations of kindness. Uh, the next picture up there is a picture of Apostle Paul. I, I, I love Paul. Here's a picture. One of my favorite pictures of Paul. There he is. I've got an old man, still writing, his eyes quenching, still writing. And so the story today about, um, as I did my research about Paul's last journey, Paul is there, at, um, he's at Caesarea Maritime, he makes this, plead his case. And he meets before, actually, you go back and look at the story of Felix as the governor, and um, and so Felix doesn't really know what to do with Paul. And Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, says, hey, listen, I, you know, I appreciate you listen to what I... And so I love what Paul does. Felix actually seems very intrigued by him. He, he's the one who... Um, uh, he wants to know more about this guy named Paul, because evidently he had heard about him. and He wanted to hear about his message. And, and so finally, Paul says, well, listen, I, I want to, because I'm a Roman citizen, I want to go to Rome and I want to plead my case before the emperor. So they allow him to do that. And so what's interesting about this particular part of the story is that um, when he gets on this boat, um, he is on, um, he's actually assigned, and there's a um, like a a centurion. His name is Julius, as I read the first part of the story today. And Julius was evidently a big deal. He had some kind of special, he's like a special forces person because it said he was in charge of a cohort. It was a centurion. And then he was in charge of like at least 100 soldiers. And so he's assigned to Paul. And whoever all the other prisoners were actually put on the ship, they're going to be taken back to Rome. I suppose most of them were going to be executed. And um, and so um, w- there's this place in the story about Julius. And I, I think maybe the reason why maybe Paul begins to win over Julius is evidently Julius saw him and admired him because he saw him as a great leader. And evidently, maybe saw uh, Paul admired Julius because. He saw him as a great leader. So they have this kind of leadership quality between them. And so they be each, each of them treated each other with respect and dignity. And I thought was very interesting, as I just shared with you all, that Julius, evidently, at the very beginning, showed Paul kindness. He didn't have to. I mean, after all, he's just a prisoner. I thought that was an interesting part of the, part of the story. And it's, um, the other part of this story that I thought was very intriguing was this this guy named Arad Tarchus. Um, and Arad Tarchus was what I read this week about his play, part of the story, is that evidently he was a companion of Paul, and the only way that he could have gotten on that ship is if he ultimately became a slave to Saul, or to Paul. So he became his slave out of loyalty in order to get on the boat with him. I thought that was interesting. Shows his commitment to Paul. So they get on this boat, and they're making their way away along the way. And so, um, can you maybe put this map up for me? And if you can, maybe get it on. So here's this map. So let me just show to share you with you all. And let me see, walk over here. So the story begins over here, and this is Caesarea Maritime and uh, what's um and so <laughs> this is kind of cute my wife what, came to hear me preach last night and so she i put this map up and she says now when you started talking about this map she says you were talking about paul being assessor of Myrotha. i said yeah and she i said you've been there and she said i've never been to syria and I said, well, it was a first century map, honey. So anyway, so this is the first century. <laughs> she never been there. I say, right, you've never actually been to Syria, but this is first century. All right, so here's Syria. Okay, so they get in this boat, and they're making their way around. Here's Cyprus, and here's Tarsus. This is where Paul actually is from. They're making, and what's interesting about this part of the, is it is oh, that um, they're, they're um, hugging the coast, which would make sense, right? Because if you're hugging the coast, the weather wouldn't be so bad. So they finally make their way. So they get on this one boat, and, um, and then they finally get over here to Myra. And this is, it says they changed to a larger grain boat. Matter of fact, I'll show you a picture of that in just a minute. So they get in this boat right here. And, and then they make, the, once again, they hug the coast, and they're making their way. And then all of a sudden, they make their way to Crete. And then they're making a way, and they have to get, of course, they have to get all the way over here to Rome. And the, uh, the fastest way is to be able to get on a boat on this Grain ship or this corn ship, and they're going to make their way. Now, as they make their way across this part of the Mediterranean Sea, this is where things start falling apart. So um, they're in this huge storm, and um, they all think they're going to die. Now, what's very interesting, because eventually they end up going to be in Malta over here. This is this little bitty tiny island. And then finally, they're going to up in Rome. Now, what normally would happen is this would take, you ready? About a month. Do you know how long it actually took them on this particular journey? Seven months. Because all heck broke loose out here in the middle of the ocean. And they ended up set to drift. And they end up going their way to Malta. So let me share with you all the rest of the story. So they finally. So Paul is there, and what's very intriguing about this part of the story? Um, can you put a picture of that that ship up, um, the grain ship, so people can just get a perspective? So listen, here's the interesting. That's a grain ship from first century, and um, and so it really was in prepared to be able to make this kind of journey. And what's very powerful of it, um, uh, is that it didn't even have a rudder. Um, you see these kind of uh, kind of oars. And so the people were, and by the way, there's 276 people on this boat. Okay, so, and what's very intriguing is that Paul gets on this boat and he. And he, t- and he has this like uh, this prophecy, the, the angel word, Paul, he says, hey, listen, he, first of all, Paul says, hey, listen, uh, since much time had been lost and sailing was now dangerous because even the, the fast, fast meant it was the, fast It means it was gives you the time of the day of atonement, which it gives you the fall season. And the fall season meant that it was a terrible time to be able to try to sail across the Mediterranean Sea. He says, sirs, I can see that the voyage will be very dangerous, much even heavy loss, not only of the, of the the cargo and the ship, but also to our lives. So this is Paul taking charge. And he said, this is a really bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. And you know what? Julius says, we're going to do it anyway. Well, what does Julius know? He's a centurion. Well, Julius is driven. Like Paul. They're both driven. Right, wait a minute. What's driving you? Do you want to be kind or you want to be cold? Hey, can't you see I'm trying to be kind here? So Paul says, "Bad idea. No, we need, we need to go. We need. We're going to go." And they made their way. So what's very interesting? So Paul is—he uh, gets up and stands in front of them. And, um, as the seas start, you know, the, the waves are battered. against this poor boat. It's not really built to be able to take this. And, and, it, and so he finally stands up and says, "Hey, listen. Uh, since they so they would have been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among all the men. And there's two hundred seventy-six there. Men, you should have listened. I know this." I told you so you should listen to me and then i um, if and not have set sail for Crete, and therefore avoiding this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep you keep up on keep on your courage for there will be no loss of life among you but only on the ship for for last night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, You know what's interesting about this? This part of the story sounds a whole lot like the Jonah story. I worship the Lord. This is Jonah. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah. And then he says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor. And indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we will have to run aground on some island. So, what's very powerful about this story is that Paul is being prophetic. The angel Lord comes to him and says, "Listen, Paul, you're not going to die. Not only you're not going to die, but nobody on the uh, no one on the board's going to die. All 276 are actually going to live." Paul gets up and says boldly, "The the Lord that the God that I worship has told me that nobody's going to die." So he's being prophetic. He's also being encouraging. He's also trying to tell them not to be afraid and listen. If you're in the butt with me, we're gonna be okay because God's on my side. Hang out, be with me. And after all the dust is gonna be settled, don't you know that Paul used this as a bargaining chip and be able to promote Jesus Christ? Because eventually they're gonna be all, they're gonna be battered by the waves and they're gonna end up. And so when they finally get to, almost to Malta, they are shipwrecked. And what's, I thought this is, a, this is a great part of the story. Once again, this shows Julius' allegiance to Paul. And he's kind to him because there's a place in which the soldiers on the boat say, oh, listen, uh, they knew they were about to run aground. We must kill the prisoners. And the reason why they thought they had to kill the prisoners is because if I was on guard and one of my prisoners escaped, then they possibly would kill me. So we got to kill the prisoners. And Julius says, that's a bad idea. And by the way, they're out in the middle of the ocean. Where are they going to go? So Julius ends up saving Paul's life and everybody else. Because he says, don't kill the prisoners. And Paul ends up saving their lives because he tells them exactly. He stands up and tells them exactly what to do. Okay, you ready? I thought it was really interesting. This is the visionary Paul. Not only has this, prophet, he's being prophetic. The thing that Paul does strategically just before they're about to be shipwrecked. He says, listen, we all need to eat. And he says, and, it, and, the, and the, literally the translation says, they took the bread when it, and he blessed the bread. He broke the bread and he gave it to everybody in order to eat. Where have we heard that before? There's this sense of communion, community. By the way, on Thursday, um, we had here at New Covenant United Methodist Church, a place to call home. We had, a pl- we had this wonderful gathering to all these people and and it was a, a bridge of connecting people within our community so we could have a table talk. We had people who were Republicans, we had people who were Democrats, we had black people, we had white people, we had Jewish people, we had Islam people, we had Christian people, we had people from, I think from multiple different churches, the Methodist, we had Methodists there, we had, uh, we had people who weren't of any faith, we had people from the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, we had gay people, we had straight people. All sitting around tables. Talking, and guess what we did? We broke bread. Paul had this ability to be able to say, "Hey, listen, you need to eat up because you need strength." But he also he was concerned about their spiritual well being. So they end up crashing into Malta, and what, and I share with you all when they crash, they're all shipwrecked, they're all wet and cold and dead. And so, what's the first thing the Malta people do? They roll out the red carpet. And they gathered and they built a fire and said, hey, listen, come and gather. Get, warm yourself around the fire, which is amazing. You know what this story reminded me of? Do you remember at 9 when all the planes had to be literally taken out, plucked out of the sky just like, in, like in, within 15 minutes? Get out of the sky. Get out of the sky. It reminded me of Gander, Newfoundland. Do you remember what happened in Gander, Newfoundland? Can you show that picture of Gander, Newfoundland if you could possibly show that for me? Gander, Newfoundland, when they, all the people had, there was actually... I think there were 36 jets that had to land there. There were about 7,000 people who were stranded in Gander, Newfoundland for about five days. And guess what the people of Gander, Newfoundland? They didn't even have the hotel rooms for all these people. It's just a little bitty dot on the radar, right? They put them all up in their rooms. They took care of them. That is a contemporary story of what we find here at this story of Malta. The people of Malta embrace him. They love him. They welcome him in. That was amazing. And then there's this other little part of the story. Publius, who was um, one of the kind of key chiefs, I guess he was part of the Roman regiment. He has um, Paul uh, wins him over, and he spends like three days with him. He finds out his father is uh, actually very sick. Guess what Paul does? He he actually heals him. What, oh, here's an interesting. Who's writing this? Luke. What does Luke consider? They call him the physician. I never had thought this. I thought this was amazing. This could have been the first time that there's ever a documentation of the first Christian missionary physician. Think about all the tens of thousands of missionaries that have gone out in the name of Jesus Christ and the mission field to do great works within the mission field to be able to bring, alleviate pain and suffering in the world. Doctors. It all starts in Malta. I thought that was amazing. Kindness. Kindness. And the last thing I share with you all tonight, tonight, today, is this. I thought this was amazing. So when they finally, after they've been like three months, how would you like somebody just move in with you for three months? Complete strangers. All 276 all live, just as Paul had prophesied. They all, none of them die. And then I thought this was amazing. And then it finally says... They get this little twist of the story is that it says that the people of Malta evidently put all the provisions they needed on the boat and sent them all. Wow. Kindness. So what's the twist of the story? The twist of the story is about kindness. But the twist of the story, as I think it is amazing to me, the spiritual opponent is that God can use an even pagan Roman centurion to be a part of God's ultimate divine plan, in order to get Paul all the way to Rome, in order to stand before the emperor, in order to tell the emperor about Jesus Christ. Now that's good. But it all started with kindness. Mm. Do you want to be cold? You want to be kind. And by the way, here's our vision for our church. You ready? to be Christ's hands and his feet and his voice. In the end, as Jewel sang, as Angie sang Jules' song, kindness really does matter. Amen.